Hi, hello. It is so good to be back. Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. This is our 1-24 pre-season predictions podcast for League 2, 2023-2024. I'm Ali Maxwell. He's George Ellick, heading into our eighth season, covering the EFL on this podcast, George. And wow, this division, this season, looks lively. It's shark-infested waters, is how I'm <laughs> describing it. It feels like what we've kind of had in League One over the last couple of years, where there are five or six teams who can really flex their financial muscles, and I think it's going to be very difficult for the, everybody else to keep pace, let alone break into that. Um, we've got a couple towards the bottom end of League Two, as ever, who are not in a particularly good place off the field, but certainly... I think League Two is going to have a global spotlight shined upon it that um, we aren't necessarily used to seeing. Yeah, anyone with a, a modicum of interest in football needs to be close, keeping a close eye on League Two this season. I mean, I think there are basically eight teams who could be brilliant. Then there's about four teams that I'm worried about. And then about 12 teams that I'm... I guess broadly optimistic for who I think are kind of doing the right things and are on the right path but who might have quite a lot of traffic in front of them so uh, without necessarily predicting massive things it's exciting also exciting is to welcome Betfair back as the sponsors of Not The Top 20 podcast for a third year what does that mean? It means that this podcast will be powering along as always this year every Monday Every Thursday with the betting show, uh, Betfair's support allows us to, to do this for a living, providing the best EFL coverage for the fans that deserve it. And we have a serious commitment to do so. Also in written form this year, NTT20.com is going to be the place to be. If you like thoughtful EFL content in your eyes as well as your ears, we've got you covered. Um, I'm not going to go on too much about the newsletter on the 1 to 24s. But needless to say, if you enjoy our work and if you enjoy this episode, then do head to NTT20.com. Stick your email address in the box and I promise you won't regret it. Uh, let's start at the bottom, as always, at George. And it's a team who finished 22nd last year. We got them 24th, Crawley Town. Yeah, it's... This time last year, we sat here and Crawley were being widely written off after the new owners, Wagme United, had come in. And I thought the negativity was maybe misplaced. I thought that the... You know, Preston Johnson coming in, having a background in sports gambling. Um, in my mind, that, that normally gives you a fairly good idea about what it takes to win football matches. The appointment of Kevin Betsy, I thought, looked pretty innovative, quite exciting. There was a piece up on The Athletic, a pre-season, about how much work was going on behind the scenes and how they were looking to kind of put in Premier League level practices, basically, into, into League Two. And I was caught hook, line and sinker, and I was sitting here saying... You know, I think this could be quite an exciting time for Crawley. What has transpired has been quite the opposite. I think it's fair to say that Crawley Town fans right now are more interested in trying to get Wagme United to, to leave Crawley Town rather than hoping for some kind of a redemption arc uh, coming into this season. The gutting of, of the players that Crawley fans have long thought to be crucial players to them, dating back to, to Glenn Morris last season. Tom Nichols as well, has carried on into this summer, really. Uh, you look at the departures, Ashley Nadson, another player who's gone on to Gillingham just a couple of days ago. James Tilly, a, a rare bright spark last season, has gone to AFC Wimbledon. Jack Powell, a creative force in, in midfield, has gone to gone to Crewe. Uh, Aramida Ote, who was again a, a rare 
shining light at times has moved on to Walsall. I mean, they're losing without much of a fight a lot of their best players to to fellow League Two sides. And when you look at the players they're bringing in, now I am absolutely a believer that there is so much untapped talent and potential within the non-league. Um, so when you're seeing players brought in, you know, in their early 20s from Oxford City, from Bromley, from St Albans, I'm from from Brackley. I'm absolutely not sitting here saying I, I don't think they're going to be good enough. But to replace, you know, proven or at least tried and tested League Two players with a whole glut of non-league players doesn't look to me to be particularly forward-thinking. Liam Kelly's in from Rochdale, who if you're going to have 70% of the ball um, might be a fair signing, but I, I can't really see how, how that's going to happen. Uh, you know, Scott Lindsay came in last season and did an incredibly good job in difficult circumstances to galvanise the fan base. And I think that is the one thing Crawley have going for them here is they've got a manager who the fans do want despite not really wanting the owners in charge. But given where they finished last season, given how it unravelled, and the fact that we're just yet to see, I mean, I know they've, they've brought in Ronan Darcy and, and Danny also from Grimsby and Swindon, but again, these aren't players who've necessarily looked like they are good League Two players. They're players who played League Two football. It's hard for me to find any reason why the downward trajectory they're on won't continue. I think Jack Powell's a massive loss at the base of midfield, a quality operator for them. And even Ashley Addison, such a popular uh, player for so long at Crawley, uh, gives some physicality and versatility at the top of the pitch. He's gone as well. And when you look at Dom Telford, the, the league's top scorer, not last season, but the one before, I think now we know that Telford can and will score goals and is a quality player, but that he needs someone next to him as foil, someone to occupy defenders, be that physical target uh, and sort of allow Telford to pick up the pieces and to finish well, which he does. And I still don't think that they've provided that for him, which is frustrating because it seems so obvious. Um, I have all the same concerns as you about their recruitment. Uh, Again, non-league recruitment, high risk, high reward. But do I trust them to have the best non-league scouts in League Two and League One? No, obviously not. All teams are looking to non-league for talent. And I don't truly believe that this Crawley Town, with this ownership group running it, would have the best non-league scouting talent personally. So um, huge concern for Crawley Town, both on the field this season and certainly off it uh, more sort of existentially going forward. If they do drop out of the EFL, it could be highly problematic for the club and for its future. Uh, So definitely something to watch. To an extent... There are similarities with Morecambe, who we have finishing 23rd. Now, this would be a double relegation, which we have seen before uh, and in recent history as well. It feels somewhat dramatic to to predict a double relegation, but I think there are reasons for it. The first thing to say is just because Morecambe were a League One club last season, I don't think that should be a reason for anyone to think that getting relegated from League Two is automatically not an option. Not only have we seen that before with double relegations from League One to non-league, but also last year's relegated clubs, four of them down from League One, finished between 13th and 21st. So um, clearly for them, it was very difficult to overcome relegation from League One to League Two. The big issue for me here is, again, off the field, it's highly frustrating to be making what are basically footballing predictions and feeling like we have to be led by issues off the field and the impact that they have on football clubs and their teams. The ownership situation is very peculiar. Bond Group Investments that owns the club, that seemingly have been looking to sell the club and or struggling to fund the club uh, towards the end of last season, which got into a very concerning situation. We're looking for buyers, one buyer in particular. Uh, All's gone very quiet on that front. This was a a very public uh, potential 
prospective buyer, but nothing has happened in terms of that actual takeover. Uh, although the good news is that Bond Group Investments Limited did announce a support package for the club in May, saying that they can fund the club in League Two. All but half a dozen of their players from last season in League One left and were released, and George were just not sure about the, the shape of the squad. I've just got no idea where the goals come from as well, when you consider that they've lost Cole Stockton, who has clearly been a transformative player for them in, the, in an incredible few seasons, dating back to their promotion out of League Two. You know, their, their striking options at the moment, you've got Jordan Slew yet again returning from non-league to the club. Charlie Brown, who's really struggled to show any promise since leaving Chelsea. Tom Bloxham, who comes in on loan from Shrewsbury, who's obviously a talent, but you know, beyond that, we haven't seen him be prolific. And one big issue for me, and normally when you're, it's interesting that we've got two teams here at the bottom of, of League Two, and I think this applies for both, where we can probably say that the, the manager is a net positive, yet it's, it's very rare for teams who finish the season in the relegation zone to have started the season with the same manager. And with both Lindsay and with, with, with Adams, you have to wonder if it's in their best interest for their careers to, to stay at these clubs, given what's going on off, off the pitch. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we see Adams look at this in a couple of weeks' time, especially with the issues in, in, in the ongoing takeover sagas and the rest of it, if he just thinks, you know what, I'm better off out of here and the same to Lindsay too. So when, you, when, you're, when we're both so negative about two teams and you're considering their managers to be probably a positive impact net, then that has got to concern you even further. And um, As you say that, Gillingham from last season spring to mind because heading into last season, we thought Gillingham looked in really concerning shape off the field and in terms of the squad. But Neil Harris was the manager and there were a lot of people, ourselves included, who consider Neil Harris to be a very good manager in the right circumstances. But we both felt that actually the issues off the field and the, and the lack of quality in the squad would be more of a factor than just having a good manager in the dugout. And I guess Morecambe are the obvious comparison this year on that front. It doesn't seem to me likely that Morecambe would have the sort of angel from above that Gillingham had in January last season, where the new owner came in and funded their turnaround from a point of being bottom of the league on the 1st of January. So um, we can but hope, but League Two clubs, I think, find it pretty difficult to find good owners um, who will take the club forward and be able to fund um, a club of this size in League Two. Morecambe second bottom. One last thing, I'm very excited about one young player called Adam Mayer, who actually picked up quite a lot of minutes in League One last season. Derek Adams took a real shine to him, and, and you can understand why. Looks a very, very lively, technical type, but hardworking out of possession as well. Um, lefty, can play any sort of attacking role down the left side, and it would be great if he can hit the ground running in League Two, carve out a position in this team, and show his talent and impact games regularly with goals and assists. It could be someone that we talk about a lot this season, uh, Adam Mayer of uh, Morecambe. You're looking at the relegation prices for this season with the Betfair Sportsbook. No massive surprise to see Crawley as the favourites for relegation. They're five to two to go down, and there's been steady money basically all summer um, for Crawley. Uh, and then Harrogate, second favourites, 100 to 30. And then Morecambe, our third favourites, joint with Colchester, who are both 9 to 2. Just above the dotted line, we got a team that finished 15th last season and actually finished well under Graham Coughlin. It's Newport County. The Amber Army looking pretty good in the last few months of the season, but quite a lot's happened since then and none of it good in our eyes. Firstly, we learned that... There's a highly reduced budget for this season. The club, which is 
one of the few fan-owned clubs in the EFL, announced a big loss and a somewhat surprising loss in their latest accounts. And because it is a fan-owned club, there's no wealthy benefactor to inject money to cover those costs and just march onwards. No, um, they need to try and cut their cloth. And I think they're finding it hard to maintain a competitive League Two budget as a result, sadly. They've lost some key players, particularly in defence. Lewis, Dimitriou, Farquharson and Cameron Norman all gone. Uh, Dolan as well, a real stalwart over the last few years, uh, not there anymore. And for Coughlin, who I think is a defence-first manager, someone who really relies on strong penalty box defending, relies on his centre-backs to contribute going forward in terms of set-piece goals, where they were excellent last season as well. I'm really concerned that the part of this team that needs to be the best is looking incredibly weak heading into the season. Because they are struggling to complete compete financially they need to outperform they're going to have to battle very very hard it's going to be grit and grind I think for Newport this season it's hard to see a lot of goals a big gold workload for Omar Bogle up front who again seemed to enjoy playing under Coughlin it's a third team in a row where we're actually broadly positive about the manager but we think that other factors make the job very difficult for him and if Coughlin can't overcome what I think has been a really difficult summer for the club. If he leaves, I'd be really concerned that Newport could get worse and worse because I think their ability to attract proven League Two managerial talent, um, which is probably what would be necessary to keep them up if they start poorly, um, is somewhat concerning. So we've got Newport above Morecambe and Crawley, but certainly fair to say we're still pretty concerned about them. And in 21st? Crew Alexandra, who had... In terms of the actual league table, a pretty good season last season, finishing 13th on 58 points. I mean, that was only kind of six points clear of, of 19th. So it was, it was incredibly bunched in that bottom end. For me, a few issues here. Um, as regular listeners will know, um, I am a slave to the data. First time I've said that today, won't be the last. If you look at the XG ratio table uh, from the beginning of February to after the January window, they ranked second worst uh, only Hartlepool were worse than them and that kind of reflected in anyone who watched their games their kind of finishing levels were very very high the main benefactor of that or the person who was scoring a lot of the goals was Dan Adji he has moved on to Leighton Orient and when you look at their squad at the moment it, it's hard to really see where the goals are going to come from and in Lee Bell their manager given that he came in kind of halfway through last season and the kind of data issues I've mentioned there, it's pretty hard to see or to predict at this stage that he looks like a particularly positive force. Um, They've also lost a couple of key defensive players from last season. Rob McDonald and Calvin Meller have both gone. I do really like the signing of of Mickey Dimitri, who I think has been a a massive player for for Newport over the last couple of seasons and um, the aforementioned Jack Powell as well. but having said that, they need to improve. And I think last season was a bit of a false position. And I anticipate that this will be a campaign where crew really need to find someone who is going to be able to stick the ball in the back of the net, replace Aji. I think without Aji last season, they'd have been in a relegation battle. And I can't see why they won't be this time around. I like Baker Richardson. I quite like Chris Long. Neither of those have been able to stay fit consistently. It'd be big if they can do that this season. And then as with Crew, I think it's always worth mentioning there is a new crop of youngsters. They are not particularly proven at this level. But you have to hope that Lee Bell has plans to build a team just like David Artell did a few years ago, winning promotion to League One. We're talking about Tabiner, uh, Williams at the back, O'Riordan, Adebisi as well, who have all got decent game time. And then some really young ones, Holacek and Finney, that, that the club have high hopes for. But um, certainly with you, I'm going to need to see it before I believe it. Uh, that's a drop of eight places 
predicting the same for Tranmere Rovers, who we got in 20th spot in our League 2, 1 to 24s. I mean, my perception is that the fans of the club, and it is a strong fan base for this, this level, are pretty fed up after a fairly meh few years at this football club. I feel that the fans uh, consider the club to be worthy of a certain amount of investment at this level that they don't think they are seeing. And there are various ways that they have seen this, both in terms of the club's ability to impact the transfer market in League Two over the last few years, which has been incredibly hit and miss. Uh, And then equally in terms of some of the managerial appointments, going back to Mickey Mellon um, for the second time, then after he was sacked, um, going with the caretaker manager, Ian Dawes, who seems like a great guy. And when I listen to Dawes speak about Tramir Rovers, about what it means to represent that region and the pride that he wants to instill in the fan base, I do find myself, A, wanting him to succeed and be kind of buying into it. There is a chance, I think, that he could get things going and get the fan base on side. But I also think a large chunk of them feel like he was the cheap option. And when the fan base feel like that, you haven't got a lot of credit in the bank. You haven't got a lot of time in which to bed in or consolidate or whatever the case may be. So I'd be worried if Tramir start poorly. Then there's the fact that Dawes likes to play a diamond formation. You it, love the diamond. Yeah, I Dawes do. Dawes diamond. I love the diamond when Dacus Cogley and Ethan Bristow <laughs> are the fullbacks, two of the best fullbacks in the division last season, and both have left this summer. I don't believe they've been replaced with uh, obvious replacements that can replicate what they brought the team. And for a manager that likes to play a diamond, that's not ideal. Now, maybe they will move away from the diamond. They've got a few wide players, in, in, in particular Morris and Hawks, who, if they could be fit for the whole season, could they produce? Yeah. How often have we seen them consistently produce at this level? Not very often. Um, Last season, they signed a load of young players, which didn't seem like it fit Mickey Mellon's managerial style. Now, this summer, they've signed quite a lot of older and, I'm afraid to say, slower players. The likes of Norris, Christian Dennis, Connor Jennings, Regan Hendry. These are all recognisable names for a League Two level. And many of them have had success in the last few years. Dennis and Hendry, in particular, winning promotion uh, with Carlisle and Forest Green Rovers. But they're all... They're all wily and experienced rather than physical. And I think increasingly this is a physical game um, all across the EFL and in League Two level. So I'm a bit worried that they might be a little bit slow and a bit creaky. Uh, So yeah, worried about the fullbacks, worried about the tactics, a bit worried about the manager, worried about the midfield, worried about the lack of speed and mobility. Pretty worried. (laughs) Tramir, 20th. Harrogate in 19th. And this is, I guess, is the first one in the league where it's not inherently a negative prediction, I don't think. I think as long as Simon Weaver keeps... Harrogate up, he's doing a pretty good job. And it does kind of feel like eventually this has to end in relegation. But I think they've got enough about them to probably stave it off for, for this year. Um, they've lost Patterson, who is, of course, a massive attacking player for them. But so long as Luke Armstrong is there, you do kind of feel like they have a target man who they can rely on for, at times, goals. He's very streaky, but at least a physical presence up front. I do like the uh, you know readers of the EFL newsletter will know I like the addition of Abraham Odo uh, a lot, who comes in from Rochdale. I know he divides opinion within Rochdale fans, but I think playing for a Weaver side where we saw at the beginning of last season that he tried to tighten things up um, for the first time at the detriment to them. And when they became that hectic, free-scoring, free-conceding side later on in the campaign, they were able to pick up the points they needed to get out of the relegation um, battle and I think that's the kind of situation Odo is going to enjoy he played a lot of football last season at right wing back I think he's likely to play at least uh, as a number 10 or up front alongside Armstrong been given the number nine shirt and I think as a young player he should 
be a, a big positive for them. Uh, Matty Daly, Matty Folds, after their loan spells, sign on a permanent as well with um, McDonald coming in from Crew, Another, another good addition. Yeah, so I, I just think they've made a smattering of nice signings. It, it's very hard to see or predict that Harrogate will do any better in my mind than safety. And I think Simon Weaver would deserve immense credit if he does manage to get them there because this is still a pretty small squad, but enough quality running through it and a decent spine, I think, that should mean that they are away from that bottom two. And will they be the eye follow slash highlights team of the season in League Two? Again, they had the most combined goals in their games in 21-22 and last season the second most combined goals in their games. It's very, very attacking stuff. Very leaky, very, very fun for the neutral Harrogate town. Uh, above them, i got Wimbledon. They finished 21st last season, having been in League One the year before. A finish of 18th this season would be an improvement in the league table. I still don't think it would be necessarily what the fans expect and where they expect to be in this division. But there's a lot of work to do. Do you think there's a, a disconnect there? between? I think there are a few teams in the EFL where the perception of success and what is success based on where they've been in recent seasons is at odds with the wage bill at hand, the squad, and that makes it quite difficult to align, really, where I think Don's fans would anticipate that they should be pushing to return to League One. But as we mentioned, given the state of the league, that's going to be quite hard to actually action. Yeah, but then at the same time, I do consider... Wimbledon fans to be among the more sort of understanding and relatively patient fan bases. However, they were served up a horrendous season last season. They've lost Ethan Chisler. It's probably the main departure. He gets a step up to League One. For me, he's not necessarily a massively impactful player. He is a, a moments player. He is a, uh, a quality technical player, but not someone I think that is going to leave a massive gap necessarily. They've got new centre-backs, new centre-midfielders, um, the centre-backs Johnson and Lewis, both from Stockport, centre midfielders uh, Jake Reeves and Jimmy Ball. They've got new wingers in Tilly and, and Neufeld. It's a nice uh, freshening up of the squad. I think that's been really important um, after the end of last season. Craig Cope is in uh, helping on the recruitment side. And again, he comes sort of very well regarded. And you have to feel like for Johnny Jackson at an early stage in his managerial career, having that sort of uh, team around him compared to last summer, um, we can expect this window, I think, to age a lot better than last summer's window. They've got good options up front. Al Hamadi, Josh Davison, Omar Bugles come in to, to be a target man and, and those guys can play off him. So I do think there is a much higher ceiling than I would have guessed come the end of last season but personally it's a case of needing to see it before I, I necessarily uh, believe it and because we think the overall level of the league has got stronger it's difficult for a team I think to rise 10 12 places in this league too we're predicting a rise of three for AFC Wimbledon predicting them to finish 18th another relegated side from league one now in Accrington Stanley we've got in 17th um, I think the big thing to say here is that without John Coleman I'd be really worried about them I think so long as Coleman is there then they have big credit in the bank um, dropping down a level you know even though this is a relegation he's obviously the man to, to continue to stay there and, and has a big positive impact on, on the whole club however when you look at the squad itself um, a lot of their best performers last season in what was a poor season were Loneys who haven't returned um, Jensen in goal Presley up front Astley at the back all either returning to their parent clubs or, or taking on different moves. There's one story that I really like here where, firstly, Accrington, I, I do think, you know, there are a lot of clubs that you and I, we look at 
mainly probably in the championship we look at their recruitment from europe and you you don't really have to do too much research where you know that they are they hit more often than they miss and i think with accrington with pl2 loanees or players picked up from premier league academies they generally are a pretty high high achieving and high performing and we've seen a few come in here but there's a, a centre-back duo, both on loan from Norwich, called Brad Hills and Lewis Shipley, who have played centre-back with each other since they were nine years old, oh, which I absolutely love. That's so nice. So when Hills came in, he was the second. Shipley came in early in the window, Hills came in second, and he said, yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense because I've been playing alongside Lewis basically all my life, so <laughs> it's going to be fun. Shipley was a bit like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> no, I just got rid of him. I'm trying to get rid of this lad <laughs> since we were nine. But I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying, having never seen them play, that this is going to be necessarily like a big win um but i do think there's something in getting in two guys who've known each other for a long time having their first loans together going from norwich to Ac- to accrington and uh, and playing alongside each other that is is probably a positive impact uh josh andrews comes in up front who we've seen with a couple of loans he's absolutely massive um he showed himself to be capable-ish at rochdale nothing at donny last season but a lot of players showed nothing at donny and this kind of feels like the kind of john coleman project that might yield something so you know coleman is a master there is still some quality running through the squad the likes of ethan hamilton um still there um sean wally you know that they, they should be okay you would think toby savin hopefully will, will get another opportunity to play 40 plus games in gold again because his career has taken a, a bit of a dive a bit of crisis of confidence in the last couple of seasons hopefully it'll be good for him can I flag up Rosaire Longello, yes. who played a lot of games at right wing back last season for Accrington, which if you watch him play is quite peculiar. I'm sure Coleman had his reasons, but he's small and he's an unbelievable dribbler and he's left footed. <laughs> and I really, really want to see him get a run of games at right wing or left wing, but preferably right wing rather than right wing back. I think get rid of any defensive responsibility for Longello and he could be one of the best sort of dribbling players in the division and, and really excited. Quite a different profile to their normal left-sided player in Sean McConville. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think this is quite an intriguing one, isn't it? Because we do worry a lot about teams when they drop down from League One, particularly teams of a certain size and wage bill for this level, where it's hard to imagine them being able to kind of really impact the transfer market. So um, a lot hinges on the quality of well, the control, I guess, of John Coleman and, and Jimmy Bell when it comes to Accrington. We got them finishing in 17th. In 16th spot, we got a team that were in the playoffs two years ago, dropped down to 10th last season. We reckon 16th this time around. It's Swindon Town and another fan base that I do not think would be happy if this is where their team end up this season. I mean, I just find it a bit bizarre, really. Mike Flynn was brought in at the very end of last season. He's had a long time now and a whole preseason to get his feet under the table. And I guess that's a good thing. But I'm still overall nervous about Swindon. One summer, last summer to be specific, Swindon are completely taken by the idea of using a technical director to oversee things on a football side, to build a modern progressive recruitment uh, system, signing undervalued, underdeveloped players, a lot of young talent and playing a highly possession-based style of play in order to best develop those players and show them off and sell them on. It is one way of doing things whether you think it is the right way or the wrong way surely if you think it is an interesting option and good enough to give the keys to a technical director like that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater within 12 months I do not understand that running of a football club within a year they have completely changed the approach to something that I consider to be about as opposite as possible 
which is basically hire Mike Flynn and give him the keys and let him run everything. What does that say about the people running this club at the moment? It, it doesn't street scream conviction to me. And I think that's an important aspect of running a football club. So I'm nervous with what I've seen on that front. And then you realise that because of the way they approached the window last summer, they are left with a very young squad, a squad that is skewed towards technicality rather than physicality. And many of them on contracts that meant that the squad was already pretty full when Flynn came in. So he hasn't really had much of an opportunity to add Mike Flynn players, if you like. And I don't recognise the current squad as a Mike Flynn squad necessarily. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of scope to add more. We've seen Liam Kinsella, who Flynn had at, at Walsall last season. Murphy Mahoney will be the goalkeeper, replacing the excellent Loney Sol Brin. And then, of course, Dan Kemp does catch the eye after what he did on loan at Hartlepool in the last few months of last season. But overall, I don't recognise this as an obvious Mike Flynn squad. I'm worried about a lack of physicality for sure. And because of what I said before about the way that the club's being run, where on earth do they turn if it starts poorly? If the club are below expectations, if Flynn is not having as big an impact as they think he might have, what on earth do they do then? On the positive side, there is a a pretty high ceiling if everyone stays fit and if Flynn can find a way of, of getting the best out of a group of players. There's a group of young players like George McEachran in particular, Russian Hepburn Murphy. These are the undervalued, underdeveloped players that were signed over the last 12 months. That's players who are from elite academies that have found it very tough to make an impact in senior football, but who should have the base level talent and quality to develop into good players if they get the mental side of the game right, if they can cope with the physicality of League Two and the schedule, if they can get ready for senior football, which a lot of them struggled with seemingly last season, then there are some quality football players. But the size of the squad concerns me, as does all of the things above. I'm finding everything a little bit awkward and a bit concerning when it comes to Swindon. 16th is where we've got them. We've got Sutton United just ahead of them. Uh, in 15th. They were 14th last season. Uh, they tailed off big time after looking solid to start the season. Uh, Matt Gray, the manager, is absolute class. I think there's very little doubt about that. He's an incredible uh, manager and has been a, a fantastic talisman for this football club. I, I would personally never be too concerned about Sutton United while Matt Gray is still in charge. If he were to leave, all of a sudden I would start being quite worried about Sutton United, if that makes sense. Uh, they've lost some key players, Ali Smith in particular from centre midfield, uh, Enzo Boldvine as well, who uh, filled in all over really last season. Um, but I think the recruitment's been nice and targeted and clear-minded, and that's what we expect from Matt Gray and from Sutton uh, over the last few years. Big man up top, Harry Smith, perfect for a direct style of play. Um, 1v1 dribblers, Omari Patrick and Josh Coley, hopefully can stay fit and do what's necessary down the flanks. Craig Clay in midfield, adding experience. Ryan Jackson at right back and big Omar Sawunmi. I mean, if they don't score 15 goals from set pieces, I'll be astonished as they got two lads who are six foot six and bigger. Um, but concerns, well, it's their third season at the level now. It looks like it'll be more of the same in terms of style of play and there's strength in continuity, but then there's also will a lot of the other teams be a lot more prepared for what happens when Sutton come to town. Uh, do they need to adapt a little bit tactically? We will find out. I think a lot hinges on the quality of the wide players in this 4-4-2 because if they don't hit the ground running and if they're not performing and providing that individual quality, then I think the team can be a bit one-dimensional in possession and over the course of the season uh, that can have a, a negative impact the, the longer it goes. So I think anything between basically 12th and 17th is on the cards for Sutton. We've gone right in the middle of there. We've gone 15th. 
Forest Green in 14th and it's been just a terrible, what, 15 months for Forest Green. Um, we've seen the promotion side that came up under Rob Edwards picked off last summer and then the dregs uh, have gone again. We've seen players like, uh, when Hendry spent the second half of last season out on loan, but Hendry McGee, Cargill, Stevenson, O'Keefe all going, mostly those players going upwards as well rather than sideways. McGeoch as well after being a rare bright spark last season. Um, but, you know, it's time, I think, the last years basically resemble performance art in my mind for Forest Green, where you've had going viral over appointing Duncan Ferguson, talking about vegan chips. Um, we had, you know, well, what I'm going to say is let's hope the next time a club releases a statement about being the first club to appoint a, a female manager, she actually gets to manage competitive games rather than being replaced a couple of weeks in. Um, but in terms of the steps that have been made, uh, since David Horseman has come in, I think there's some cause for optimism. Horseman comes in as a a well-respected coach from a decent level. He's someone who, you know, listening to his first interview, the, the way he talks about the game, I think aligns with the way that most fans want to see the game being played. You know, he talks about really aggressive uh, pressing off the ball, encouraging his players to be brave and direct and no blame culture. It's all very progressive and it all sounds great if he can actually take a team and turn that into, turn those words into action, then it should be good to see. Um, I love, you know, unsurprisingly, I guess, because there may be some bias here, but I'm fairly convinced that Matty Taylor is still a League One goal scorer if he played in a team that created chances, which was not the case either for Oxford or for Port Vale last season. I think that if Forrest Green can build a kind of a press machine attacking force around him and have Taylor as that uh, fox in the box number nine then I think he should score a lot of goals and there is quality there as well you know Reese Brown still at the still in the team you know got a move to the championship not that long ago for playing well for Forest Green in League Two Jordan Garrick another one who's played very well at, at League One level Jordan Moore Taylor a, a relic of that good side from previous um and, and in Ryan Innes they brought in a a centre-back who if he can stay fit is is quite clearly too good for League Two but it's just staying fit that seems to be the issue with him so I reckon a season of consolidation is probably what is at hand here. Um, Horseman getting his his feet under the t- or his hooves, maybe I should say, under the table. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very disrespectful because I am excited about what he's going to do. So um, yeah, Forest Green in fourteenth after a just one of the worst seasons post uh, a title win we've ever seen. But hopefully, reasons to be optimistic going forward. They've made good appointments off the field as well with Alan Steele coming in. Um, you know, the Stevie Grieve uh, experiment last season certainly didn't work, but I do think that it looks like now they're getting back to where they were with, with Rich Hughes and Rob Edwards. Hopefully Steele and, and Horseman will be that that kind of duo. George, next up we got uh, Colchester United rounding out the bottom half, finishing 13th, which, I mean, certainly in my eyes is some great optimism because it's a it's a club that we've been frustrated with over the last few years in League Two often scrapping around the bottom often just about surviving and then trying to build again and then being dragged back down towards it but strong finish to last season Ben Garner at the wheel we're buying into it to a certain extent yeah we, we saw Ben Garner at Swindon come in not in similar circumstances but I guess taking on a an underachieving League Two side and overseeing a, a massive churn of players. And that's, again, what we're having here. I mean, I, I've got to say, from a, a neutral's perspective, to finally see that kind of dad's army, Ipswich core move on 
is um, a bit amazing that they a bit all of a arrived together and they've all left together. So Sears has gone, Chambers has gone, Skuse has gone, Judge has gone, and I think that has to be a positive. I think Chambers is the only one who they may miss, but in terms of you know he's thirty seven years old now, he played a lot of football last season. But the time has come to to move on. Junior Shamado is still there at time of recording. It seems eminently likely that he will get a million pound move at least to um, Stoke. Uh, Summer Ashley had a good season last season, a bit of a breakout season, has moved on to Salford. So they are missing a few from last season. But I do think Garner is an exciting manager to have at the helm at League Two level. We know that he can create a good side. We saw at the back end of last season that they started to play the kind of football that we're used to seeing a Garner team play. Um, in terms of the incomings, it's a lot of loanees from Premier League sides. It's hard to really... Um, you know, get overly excited about any of those because we haven't seen them. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've seen much of Mauro, Mauro Banderia from Arsenal, but it doesn't mean I'm not excited to see him. Um, but there's enough quality, you think, in the sides. Um, certainly Noah Chilvers still being there is, is a big positive. You know, he's the the star boy. And, you know, at the back, they've brought in um, Yandolo from Swindon, who, who Garner knows well. Uh, Fika Kelleher and Connor Hall are a good centre-back duo. There's plenty there, I think, for Garner to work with. Again, transition season wouldn't surprise me at all if Colchester decide that we're looking to be upwardly mobile going forward. I don't think they should be having too many issues right now about relegation. I just like the look of it from a sort of fun perspective in terms of youth development. Cole, you have always been one of the leading lights uh, at this level and you can argue across the EFL in terms of uh, youth development and, and providing opportunities and pathways for young players. And that's something that we love. It's something that we, we really like um, shining a light on. So it's worth pointing out that I think there's now a decent blend where Cole, you have what I would consider grown-up centre-backs, <laughs> Hall, Kelleher, Dallison. They've got grown-up strikers in Hopper and Akinde and then sprinkled throughout the rest of the team a ton of young talent, hopefully with high potential. So Chamado being the, the main one who may leave and then in his place, uh, Noah Chilvers finished really strong last season. Samson Tavide has been given the number nine shirt. He's probably the one to be most excited about just because he looks like the sort of proper handful forward player um, that has a lot of growth and hopefully Garner can work strongly on the technical side of his game uh, to get him a little bit tighter in possession and in, in the final moments because he's the sort of um, you know s- speedy wide forward slash number nine type that can um, really give defenders a tough time with his movement into the channels and then Gene Kennedy we've always heard good things about Marshall Miranda established himself last season Al Kazim uh, on the left side of the defence as well I'm, I'm excited about Colchester United and it feels great to say that me too. Me too. Um, as I said uh, in the intro, there's like eight teams I think uh, could be amazing. Then there's four teams I think might be really bad that you've already heard about. And now we're in that group of teams that like, I basically like them and I like what they're doing, but I just can't, I can't squeeze them any higher. This is always the part of the table where you'll say, you'll get people saying to us, 17th, are you joking? We'll be at least 12th. And it's like, yeah, that can be like three points. It's yeah. very hard to differentiate between these mid-table positions. Right, 12th, Barrow. Finished ninth last season. And I like Barrow and I really like their manager, Pete Wilde. And I think they will be one of the most well-coached teams in the division. I've got very little doubt about that. And as I say that, I think last season, the best coached teams in the division, some of them finished in the top three. So maybe I'm getting this wrong already. If I think Pete Wilde is one of the best coaches in terms of setting his team up, then maybe I'm missing a trick having Barrow in 12th. Um, they're going to be 
quality out of possession. I've absolutely no doubt about that. Um, their their press, their defensive structure is excellent. And I think that comes from good coaching and structure rather than personnel. So the fact that they've lost McClelland, for example, is not a huge concern for me because I think Wilde is good enough to build a good defence with basically any personnel unless it was me and you at centre-back. Um, but, but... The attack was very poor. They were a top-half team last season. In fact, they were a top-10 team last season, George. They scored 14 goals less than any other top-10 team last season. They only scored 18 in their last 23 games. The second half of the season, Barrow scored 18 goals. So there's a lot to be done on that front. Uh, they've added some bodies up front in the shape of Courtney Duffus, uh, Jamie Proctor, Emile Aqua. Um, hopefully, one of them at least could catch fire. Worrell has come in from Port Vale, and we know him to be a great crosser of the ball, someone that can create chances with the right targets in the middle. So it looks like that'll be their main approach. Whitfield, of course, was a good creator, also from wide positions last season. Got high hopes for Dean Campbell as well. So overall, I'm really looking forward to watching Barrow play. If they can become <clears throat> a consistent attacking threat, I'd be really, really, really excited. Um, but I'm afraid, as is my normal catchphrase, I'm going to need to see it before I believe it. So... That leads us to 11th place, George. We've got Walsall. I'm pretty positive about Walsall um, for the upcoming campaign. I mean, with Matt Sadler, the, the head coach, it's it's a bit of an unknown. Again, it's very hard to sit here and say we expect him to be a massive positive force. But similarly, we, we just don't really know. But if you look at the squad itself, I think there is cause for optimism that they can leave a disappointing campaign last season behind them. Um Looking at the players that they've let go, I think everyone was pretty surprised that Liam Kinsella was just kind of released at the end of his contract. Um, but there were a lot of players in there who have been big players from recently who are, are still there. Um, looking at, at Daniels, at Knowles, Hutchinson are still there. Manny Month has gone on, uh, has moved up to League One, but in Priestley Farquharson, I think they've made a, a, a progressive um, signing there. Somebody who's maybe a bit more mobile can probably play the, the more expansive way they're going to look to play this season. Danny Johnson's an interesting one where I can't really think of many lower league strikers who are quite as streaky as he is. Um, streaky Danny, where he had a really good loan spell at Walsall last season, scoring 12 and 22. Um, went back to Mansfield who hoped they could kind of capitalise on that and he barely scored at all. He seems to be a massive confidence player. He seems to be someone who needs to kind of feel comfortable. And I think going back to a club where he's had a, a decent um, campaign, going and playing in front of fans who kind of idolised him and wanted him to sign can only be a massive positive. Ryan Stirk is a good addition as well. was really good at Mansfield a couple of seasons ago. In, in Hussey, they've signed a player who was a, a massive feature for arguably, well, certainly one of the best um, League Two sides last season in Stockport. Yes, he's getting on a bit, but being able to play at left back or left side of a three is handy too. So they've made some really good clever additions in my mind um, they've retained some quality as I say I think in Knowles and Johnson they've got a, a front two there that could be very uh, impressive in Hutchinson as well um, you know, they have a lot of attacking talent and some solid defensive base as well so I don't think it has to take too much from the inexperienced Sadler to make them into the very least a mid-table League 2 side yeah I'm saying Walsall are the team with the biggest potential range of finishes mm. in my head you know from best case scenario let's say sixth to worst case scenario Sadler ends up not being great and the players end up not really meshing and the fans get a bit bored and sad again and then they finish 18th <laughs> but let's hope not <laughs> that's worst case scenario uh, in 10th they've got Grimsby Town we've got Grimsby Town um, Grimsby under Paul Hurst they were a 
I think a really good team last season that finished 11th. And I think the finishing spot somewhat obscures the fact that they had an unbelievable cup run, which took them so far in the uh, FA Cup. They beat so many teams in leagues above them. And I think they expended a lot of energy doing so. They'd already expended quite a lot of energy uh, in their National League playoff campaign uh, months before the start of last season. So it was an incredible and very exhausting, I think, physically and emotionally, uh, 12 months. But an amazing 12 months for Grimsby. An 11th place finish is a great finish having just one promotion. They also, and this is something that you and I will always make note of, underperformed their underlying numbers in attack and defence. So not only did they let in through bad goalkeeping, good finishing, bad luck, more goals than um, you would expect given the uh, level of chances that they gave up, where they also didn't convert their chances uh, in an average manner either. Uh, so general consensus would be a little bit of better luck this season, a bit more composure in front of goal and a change of goalkeeper, which they've done. And you never know if they hit the same standards, they could be a really good team. They had a great record against top eight teams last season, which again is the sort of thing I look at for a mid-table team and think, yeah, that probably reflects quite well on you actually, like genuinely competitive against the best teams in the division. And it's a, it's a Paul Hurst team. And I think we know what good Paul Hurst teams look like now. Really comfortable, out of possession, with a reactive game plan. Really good in terms of pressing, but also in sitting deeper and, and defending deeper when necessary. Good in the press, solid and difficult to beat. However, the big red flag from last season is just how poor they were at nil-nil and how poor they were at home. You know, that speaks to a team that struggles to take the game to the opposition, that struggles to dominate and get ahead and win comfortably. That was what was missing last season. So... They've made some some big steps to try and change that. A lot of early business this summer with Grimsby. I like, in particular, the signings of Tobias Malarkey and Camille Conte, um, who have both recently been in non-league. Malarkey um, played for Rochdale at the back end of last season. I think it's a strong squad now, uh, particularly in defence and in midfield. And it leads to me thinking they will be excellent out of possession once more. My only question mark is goal scoring. They really needed either better attacking players or, probably more importantly, a better attacking system. And I don't know for sure that we're going to get that. They've signed Danny Rose, Donovan Wilson, Raquel Pike, Aboisa, Charles Vernon. And I don't think either of us are ready to say those are smash hit signings. We hope that they will be. But at League Two level, you can never really be sure, I don't think. Um, but I do have a good feeling around the club. And I do think Paul Hurst in this sort of situation is someone to, to, to sort of get with, to back. So I could easily th see things clicking and Grimsby being involved in a playoff tilt with a, a, a roaring crowd at Blundell Park um, getting right behind them. It's a club on the up, Grimsby in 10th. In ninth, it's a team, you know, you mentioned that Walsall have kind of the, maybe the, the biggest range in terms of where they could be. Um, for me, I think Doncaster have to have that, where I was very, very anti-Doncaster this time last season. I think they made two really uninspiring managerial appointments in Gary McSheffrey and, and then Danny Schofield. It didn't really feel like a whole lot of work or attention was being paid to the football club. And... They ended up finishing, despite kind of hovering around mid-table for the most part of the campaign, they ended up finishing 18th. Having a look at their underlying numbers for the season, they were fourth bottom for open play XG ratio. They were just a, a really bad side. And I think some kind of decent players went through Doncaster last season without really being able to do anything, just because the environment wasn't really conducive to being a good football team. Grant McCann is now in. And that is, in my mind, as, as big a proven upgrade as you can really get from what they had last season. This is a guy who... You and I sitting on the podcast 
18 months ago, we're talking about how unfair it was that he had been sacked by Championship Hull, who were miles clear of relegation. He had taken them to the to the uh, to the title after, um, to the title last season, sat by Peterborough when they were just outside the playoffs in League One, doing an, an okay job. Previously proven, um, he's he's just a manager at, at Doncaster as well, so he's got the relationship with the fan base. I think Doncaster fans basically feel like the best they've had it in the last decade or so was when McCann was at the club, both in terms of results and with the style of football on display as well. So that is a huge upgrade, and, and for that alone, I think you have to upgrade them in terms of where you expect them to finish this season. The addition of, of Richard Wood, I think, is a really savvy one, immediately made club captain. I think when you consider that Bobby Fortner, their 18-year-old centre-back, who really impressed the back end of last season, is in Joseph Alua as well. Just bringing in a bit of experience and a bit of know-how is a, a, you know, a wise thing for McCann to do and an ally for him to bring in as well. When you've got Maxwell at left-back and Jamie Sterry at right-back, the defensive line just looks really solid. In midfield, they've got a range of options um, and a lot of proven quality in there as well from Broadbent, Westbrook, Biggins. You know, they're not short of options. And then up front, they brought in Joe Ironside, who has proven himself at League Two level in the past. Generally a foil. You know, he scored 14 goals in back-to-back seasons in League One and League Two alongside um, Paul Mullen for the most part for Cambridge. And then last season alongside Sam Smith. Um, Can we expect, therefore, that George Miller might benefit a lot? Because he had some good streaks last season, but often looked very isolated. Yeah, possibly. Or I wonder if it might be Ironside's turn to to step up and be the main man. Um, we'll have to see. But you know, we're, we're on the cusp here. You know, I mentioned at the top of the um, at the top of the pod that there are some sharks in League Two, and I don't think Doncaster are a shark, but um, they look to me to be one of those who might be able to swim in these waters without being eaten. <laughs> Excellent analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, eighth spot, just outside the playoffs, but very much flirting with them. We've got MK Dons, relegated from League One last season. How do they handle a relegation? That must be up there with about as traumatic and surprising a relegation that we've seen in the last few years. They went from third place in League One to being relegated. They started poorly. And between everyone at the club, they were not able to recover. And that was somewhat surprising. So um, some pretty strong action taken by Pete Winkleman was to hire Graham Alexander nice and early this summer. Graham Alexander, um, on the face of it, not someone that you associate with the sort of style of play that MK have um, been proponents of over the last couple of years and spoken a lot about uh, their philosophy and the way that they want to recruit and the way that they want to play. Graham Alexander, um, by no means known as, as some sort of caveman manager, but it's fair to say is someone who uh, is a little bit more keen to play the ball long, uh, is a little less keen to uh, play the ball a lot build up a lot with goalkeeper and defenders at least this is the case for his last few jobs so uh, interesting mini transition here and they've signed some beefier sturdier more experienced types to help balance the squad out a little bit for the hustle and bustle of league two football if you think that a big part of MK's problem last season was that they simply couldn't handle the physicality and the physical pressure that teams were putting them under. Uh, well, then the signings of Gilby and Norman and MJ Williams uh, should help with that. McGillivray in goal as well, I think, is one of the best goalkeeper signings this summer. Should be very, very solid in League Two for MK. Um, they've lost a few bits, but, but nothing major. And I, I must admit, I, I think... An eighth place finish, in my eyes, is a, is a reflection of the fact that I think they've got a really high ceiling. I think if he gets his feet under the table, 
Graham Alexander nice and early. And if he can work well with this squad of players, if he can add a steel, a strength and a grit while maintaining the technical level, which should be very high for League Two, then they have a high ceiling and certainly the highest of all the relegated teams by far. Jonathan Lecco, I think, could be absolutely ridiculous. He was really strong at the back end of last season. League One defenders basically couldn't stop him cutting inside and getting uh, past them. So I'm not sure how League Two defenders are meant to cope. His shooting's a little bit iffy and his decision-making could be better, but I really think uh, he could be an absolute star of the level. Moisa is a striker at the moment, scored 23 in his only season in League Two with Cheltenham. Uh, Connor Grant, Ethan Robson, Jack Tucker. This is a good team with some good players in it. Uh, It just was a terrible uh, sort of the, the the potion last season just didn't work at all. Young players like Devoy and Burns could come on as well, and we hope that they will. But that's that's the best case because there's also a lot of uncertainty. What's holding us back, I guess, not knowing if Alexander is going to be a good fit for the squad and for the club uh, psychologically has the club handled relegation. Is that already in the rearview mirror? It's a pure question for me of club mentality, mental strength and composure. And we can't judge that right now until we start seeing the team on the pitch. If that is sorted and if they're in a strong state, sort of overall holistically as a club, I think the rest will come and I'd be excited about that. But enough uncertainty to have them just outside the playoffs, George, which means the right side of the dotted line in seventh. Bradford. And when you look at Bradford's squad and the manager and Mark Hughes, it's basically impossible not to have them in the top seven in my mind. But it's very hard to get overly enthused and have them right towards the top end. You know, they were so reliant on Andy Cook last season where, uh, you know, when you've got a, a successful team and your 25 goal a season striker is part of that, then it's obviously a positive. When you've got your own fans who are fully aware that you are Andy Cook FC during the course of the season, it's not particularly conducive to a positive um you know, outlook going forward. And I kind of asked myself the question, if Mark Hughes wasn't Mark Hughes, you know, if Mark Hughes was David Horseman, who came in last season with no managerial experience, how would we have judged last season? And I think probably okay. I don't think you'd necessarily be looking at it and thinking, yes, this is a guy who we can really get excited about and and be confident that he's going to build a decent side next season. They've definitely got the players. You know, the 1-11 to is one of the best, at least spines, you'd think, of the league. Cook up front, Smallwood, um, and then McDonald's come in to replace Adam Clayton, who you think is, is probably an upgrade. I know Clayton did very well when he came in post-January. And then, um, you know, Stubbs in particular at centre-back, but they've also got Ash Taylor, Matty Platt. You know, they've got players at centre-back who are going to be decent players for the league. And that kind of runs throughout the whole side. So it's hard to, to talk them down. I do think by adding Tyler Smith, who had a, very poor loan spell where he didn't really play at Oxford last season, but we've seen him score goals at League Two level before. So at least Cook has somebody in the squad who who is an out and out goal scorer if they get the opportunities to play. Um, I think Bradford are just are just very very solid. You know they briefly flirted with looking like they were going to break into the top three last season, the back end of it. Um, but I think the top end of League Two looks far far more competitive this time around, and I think you know, finishing in the playoffs again for Bradford would maybe have to have to see some progression in terms of their actual performance level. But I think they've, they've certainly got the squad. And, you know, I guess with Hughes, given that when he came into the club, what, 18 months ago, it was a new environment for him. He's probably entitled to, to learn on the job, even at the, the um, stage he's at in his managerial career. Into sixth now. And this team were bottom of League Two on New Year's Day 2023. 
They finished 17th. It's Gillingham. They picked up the second most points in League Two from the 1st of January 2023 onwards, albeit they did slow down a little bit near the end. Neil Harris, as we discussed this time last year, had inherited a hot mess that he couldn't overcome. The saving grace was that by the time a takeover happened and a a new owner, an American owner, came in and immediately released some pretty tasty funding for January transfers, the saving grace was that Harris was still there because a lot of managers may not have been. Uh, And when the money came with the takeover, lots of transfers came and the team got a lot better. So I think they're heading into the season feeling pretty bullish. They haven't lost anyone major, I wouldn't say, from that team last season. They've added Conor Masterson, really, really popular uh, former loanee. They've added Johnny Esther, Johnny Williams, who, when fit, we know his quality as a creator at this level, just has that extra quality that not many at this level have. Uh, and then Scott Malone, Max Clark, Shadrach OG, all three of them kind of left-sided defensive types. be interesting to see if Malone may play a little further forward. I basically, on a positive note, I don't see why Jills will be anything other than incredibly solid and will likely have a very strong defensive record. I think they're going to be really hard to score against. That is a feature of Neil Harris' teams and one that I think we should see continuing. I don't see the tactics changing much. It is a, a somewhat direct attacking style and it has been pretty effective, albeit they're Uh, The level of goal scoring wasn't that impressive. It was mainly the defensive record that got them all those points in the second half of that season. With the direct system, you know, you worry a little bit about being one-dimensional for some teams. But with Jills, I'm kind of positive because even with the height of Hawkins, and he will be the target for a lot of long passes, you've still got, once you've won that ball in the final third, you've got the quality of Johnny Williams and Tom Nichols. And I think those are two of the most creative players in the league. So that gives me great cause for hope. You've also got the box crashing legs of of Lapsley running in behind. You've got Dieng, who can be a goal threat threat, uh, arriving late into the box as well. Sean Williams at the base midfielder, a classy operator. So I'm not sure they're going to be a high-scoring team. But if you look at the top three in League Two last season, they only scored 61, 61 and 62 goals in 46, which is not particularly high scoring return. So interesting. I think there'll be some that think having Jills in sixth is is quite low due to the back end of last season. I think for us, it's about right, considering the teams that we have above them. And I also think 17th to sixth, let's remind ourselves, would be an amazing leap. And it's great to see this club with some proper momentum and some good vibes. Jills in sixth. Welcome to Wrexham in fifth. And, you know, this is a case where I think this is a fairly positive review, really. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to go back to 2016, uh, 2015, 2016 for the last team who have won back-to-back promotions from the National League through to League One. That was Bristol Rovers. So we've seen Salford come up and try. We've seen Stockport come up and, and go close last season. But it hasn't been done for a while. And... The what that leads to is the fact that there are now a glut of these high-achieving, high-income, high-spend um, National League sides, of which the top five of our predicted League Two table are four uh, are in there. With Wrexham, I've been pretty surprised to see their summer and the way that it's gone. I think we all probably anticipated that we would see quite a lot of spend, given you know what what's happened in the last year or so. Instead, they brought in. Will Boyle, who I think is a really, really good signing for League Two level. You know, there's a reason why he got a move from League One to the Championship. I don't think there are many sides in uh, 
League Two who could have attracted him. He hasn't played a lot of football recently, but you know, even so, um, he's a good addition. Having said that, they are absolutely stacked at centre-back already with players who performed incredibly well last season, such as Owen O'Connell and Ben Tozer, uh, Jordan Tunnicliffe as well. So how they're going to wedge all those into one team, I'm not entirely sure. But I think it's fair to say that this hasn't really gone to plan in terms of additions being made. Um, Nick Powell was one they were closely linked to. He's gone to Stockport. At the moment, it's James Norwood who's been linked to, but reports in the local press suggest that that link might be a little bit premature. Um, I do wonder if because of everyone's knowledge about Wrexham and their financial um, security, if that's meaning that it's kind of hard to get deals over the line. They have got a massive squad already. They don't necessarily need reinforcements. They were quite clearly an incredible National League side last season, winning the league with whatever it was, 109 points. Um, A couple of things though. Firstly, Phil Parkinson is their manager and that I'm not saying is in any way a negative. I think we've seen Parky be a really good manager in various different situations. Last season, it was being a flat-track bully and he was very good at it. He had the one of two of the best squads in the whole division by miles and was able to turn that into a functional, attacking, free-scoring side. We also saw him, in a very different situation, take a Bolton side who were having serious off-field issues without much investment and take them up out of League One. So he isn't necessarily just a flat-track bully. He can do it both ways. But the job that this most resembles, in my mind, is the Sunderland job, where he's taken... He's managing a side who have massive expectations, seemingly regardless of the opposition they're going to face in the league that season, with a huge expectant fan base around that as well, and quite a lot of pressure to succeed. And we saw at Sunderland that did not work well at all. As things started to get worse, he became very abrasive. There were cameras in his face quite a lot of the time, which is going to be the case here too. And given the reach and the wealth of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, it seems to me to be a matter of time until there is somebody more marketable being manager of of, um, of Wrexham that isn't Phil Parkinson. Whether that is a former elite level player, I mean, I don't know who it's going to be, but I'd be amazed if, I wouldn't be amazed if this journey ends in Wrexham getting up to the Championship or the Premier League. I'd be amazed if it's Phil Parkinson who gets them there. So there is that where we might see some instability possibly at some stage during the season. As I said, I don't think this is necessarily a particularly negative review. I know that some Wrexham fans around the global see it as that and will think that they are because they are favourites to win the league should be judged as so. Um, Paul Mullen obviously has, has his punctured lung which isn't ideal to start the season with your main striker being out. They've also spent the last, I mean I don't know if they're back from America yet but the season starts in six days so I hope they're not going to be too jet lagged. It doesn't seem like a great prep for a League 2 campaign and if one of these two teams coming up from league, from the National League might have some teething issues, I think it could be Wrexham. Okay, above them in fourth we got Mansfield Town and one of the fun aspects of doing these now for six or seven years is that through the very nature of predictions, there are a couple of teams across the three leagues that we've got a bit of a history with. And I'm talking about a history of not necessarily getting it right with them. Stoke City spring to mind in the championship. Mansfield Town spring to mind in League Two. I'm not sure we've ever had them lower than probably fourth. And that's where they are this season, even though they missed the playoffs last year, finishing one point outside of it. I don't think either of us were expecting them to, to have Mansfield fourth. So this is uh, this is one of those fun ones that you get when you do a lot of preseason research. And eventually you look at the league as a whole. You feel like you've got a good grasp of the whole league and you still come back to the Stags being very strong. Now, they were a very strong last season for like 75% of it. For 25% of it, Mansfield defended like idiots 
It, they defended like they weren't taking things seriously enough, and they paid the price. There were too many games where they conceded, where they conceded two, three, four goals. You can't do that. You cannot do that, even if, as they were, they were the joint highest scorers in the league. So it's two years now, really, of being occasionally very inconsistent at the back. And I just think the key question is, is that an unshakable trait? I don't think it is. I still believe in Nigel Clough, and I still think if he can get a settled back four or back five that get a proper run of games together, there's no reason why Mansfield couldn't be a decent defensive team again. He's gone for new faces in searching for this. George Williams, Callum McDonald, Aaron Lewis, Bailey Cargill, and the returning goalkeeper, Christy Pym. Can they just stay fit and settled? If they can, we're thinking big things for Mansfield. The other end of the pitch is so exciting. As I mentioned, joint top scorers in the league last year, the highest expected goals, the highest open play expected goals alongside uh, Salford. They've got an unbelievable squad. It's not a surprise that they're so good going forward. Their midfield options, Reed, Hartigan, Quinn, Clark, Maris, Boateng, ridiculous midfield depth. Ahead of them, Keelor Dunn, Reese Oates, Swan has joined permanently from Nottingham Forest. His goals per 90, uh, mainly off the bench last season, were was the top in the division. Then there's Lucas Aikens, target man type, brilliant bouncing passes off Aikens. Not known as a prolific goal scorer, but has scored a lot of pre-season goals, I've noticed. So there's a lot to like going forward, and we think they'll tighten up enough at the back to be challenging for automatic promotion, but just missing out. I still rate Nigel Clough as a good manager. We think the squad is amazing. Just get a bit more serious at the back and they'll be back in the mix. Mansfield fourth and above them, George, their fellow joint top scorers from last season. Yeah, Salford, who, yeah, I'm really surprised to see, and this will be a theme if anyone tunes into our betting show uh, later in the week, I'm sure, unless things change dramatically until uh, until then. I'm amazed to see that Salford are kind of being perceived as, you know, outside of this main core where you look back to last season, it was Neil Wood's first campaign in charge. Um, I think there may be some complacency where people seem to forget that Salford is still absolutely one of the big spenders in this division. Um, still massively ambitious as well. They the, the kind of figures stack up last campaign where I think they were fourth for XG ratio in the whole division last season. They went toe-to-toe with Stockport, who were the best team according to the XG ratio stuff um, in the playoff semifinals and run done on penalties. Um, they have retained key players, which I think you can always be fairly sure that Salford are going to do. Elliot Watt, in my mind, the best centre midfielder in the league, is still there. Callum Hendry, who finished the season brilliantly, also still there. Um, I think Curtis Tilt is a nice addition at centre back. Um, you know, we saw him playing for Wigan in that promotion season a couple of seasons ago at League One and was very good. Uh, Summer Ashley, a nice one to add some energy in midfield too. There's just nothing really negative has happened there apart from losing. Ibu Torre um, to Stockport is the only negative you can kind of point at. But in Luke Garbutt, they've got a left-back who, in my mind, kind of suits the way they want to play in, a, in better, where he is very tidy on the ball. If Matt Smith is up front, he has a brilliant delivery from the left-hand side. Um, I, I, I find it very hard to pick holes in this side at all. I think Wood, especially after his first season, um, is a good platform to work from, from here com- coming in. I, I, yeah, as I say, the, the squad is, is littered with quality. We know they have the financial clout to, to continue to improve. And after a playoff campaign last season, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them go one better and finish in the top three. Salford, top three. It's what they've been 
you know, favourites for for the last seemingly four seasons and always, well, rarely have they even got particularly close. And then just when everyone seems to have forgotten a little bit about Salford, we've got them in the top three. Yeah. Great narrative. Why are they being forgotten? We never forgot about Notts County. When they went down from League Two, they were in horrendous shape. We were worried about them. Fair to say now we are super excited about them. We got them in second spot in League Two, straight up from the National League, straight into second spot. I'm excited for literally everything here. I can't really contain myself. I'm excited for Luke Williams' style of play. They averaged just under 70% possession last season. They scored so many goals, 40 goals from open play for their striker, Macaulay Langstaff, who's still there. Ridiculous technicality to their play. Great passing moves. I'm so excited for who they've replaced Ruben Rodriguez with. David McGoldrick was one of the best players in League One last season, is a forward player who scores goals, creates goals, and can carry the ball. You basically can't tackle him because his feet are so good. That's two strikers in one, or two number 10s in one, and he'll be playing in the in the 10 role behind Langstaff. Maybe Dan Crowley will be there as well. Beautiful technician, and seems to have been able to get himself fit back into last season playing for Morecambe. I'm so excited for those two, uh, George. The team... Got four points less than Wrexham last season, therefore had to go up through the playoffs. They scored one more and conceded one less in the regular season. I guess I'd throw it to you and say, because I'm clearly just a little bit blinded with, with, with love here, with black and white love. Um, on a serious note, why have we got knots specifically above Wrexham to this extent, having finished beneath them last <coughs> season? There's a couple of interesting things to look at here. Um, firstly, and this is... Yeah, apologies for those who don't care about the betting side of things, but kind of some betting theory where these two teams played, Wrexham and Notts County played very late on in the um, National League season and Wrexham went off, um, you know, I should say credit to Nick Goff for this because he was one who filled me in rather than passing off as my own. But um, Wrexham went off six to four favourites at home to Notts County and that basically translates that if they were to play at a neutral venue because that was at Wrexham, then Notts County would have been slight favourites. So you had there kind of an indication on from the markets at least that Notts County were probably being perceived as a slightly better side than Wrexham regardless of what the league table says now I know that a lot of Wrexham fans will say hold on we won the league and I get that and you know whatever like it's a couple of points over the course of a, of a season yeah you might not like listening to this podcast long term it's not uh... yeah it's not it you know if finishing above a team the season before was cast on evidence you'd finish above them again then things will be very, very easy to predict. Um, as you say, they've made some some really good additions. I think the McGoldrick-Crowley um, combined radar would basically be a ball player's circle. Like it's, you know, it's ridiculous what those two will bring in terms of attacking talent. I've, I've often been critical of Crowley. I think he or his agent have, have picked some really bad moves for him in the past. And he's finally now going to go to a club where he they're going to dominate possession. He's going to get on the ball in advanced areas a lot and is going to be encouraged to to express himself. The only concern I have around Notts County is in their keeper, Sam Slocum, who is very good at the ball-playing side of things that Luke Williams wants him to be, very brave on the ball. Um, I'm not necessarily sure he's a great shot stopper. I do wonder if at a high level with, with a better opposition, he might be caught out a little bit in that regard. But generally, this is... A, a squad with bags of quality and I think in Luke Williams now that he's back in the, in, in the EFL I don't think it's going to be long before we're touting him for, for jobs up in the championship and beyond because he seems to have it whatever it is love that top of the table top of league two in this year's 1-24s you've probably guessed by now Stockport County 
Uh, George Stockport finished fourth last season, but, and this could be interesting and relevant to Notts County and Wrexham, they struggled for the first 10 games. They didn't hit the ground running despite an incredible National League campaign the year before. If you take out the first 10 league games of last season, convenient, I know, once they got to grips with things, Stockport picked up 71 points from 36 games. That's eight more than any other team in that time period. So all three teams that went up automatically and Carl who went, Carlisle who went up through the playoffs in terms of league points return over basically everything other than the first 10 games of the season. Stockport were very much at the same level. In fact, it's easy to argue uh, better. They're now acclimatised to League Two, George, and that should be pretty scary for everyone else. Yeah, I definitely think it should be. Um, it was, as you say, just it took him a while to get used to, well, to, more to bed into League Two last season. I think maybe, as we say, the expectation and pressure is coming into the campaign as, as favourites maybe um, didn't suit them. But they were a magnificent side last season. They were. It was a weird, weird playoff final where something just didn't quite seem right about them on the day. But we know that they've got a manager in Dave Challoner who was going for three consecutive promotions. So there's no issues there in terms of their ability to see things through and get over the line. I think the additions that they've made, it looks like they're going to be changing shape this season. I think they're going to be playing a back four, which is no bad thing when you consider the quality that they've brought in. Nick Powell should be one of the most effective players in League Two this season. Again, I wrote about him in the um, EFL newsletter early season or pre-season suggestions he might be playing as an, as an attacking midfielder which is fine I think he'll play quite a lot of the season up front as well where his aerial dominance will be massive um, they've also brought in Louis Barry who had a brilliant campaign last season at Salford who I think will really suit um, this kind of direct attacking Stockport side uh, basically they were the best team in my mind and I know again apologies to teams that actually went up but they were the most impressive side especially in open play last season in League Two. And if it wasn't for a, a poor start, they'd have comfortably finished in the top three. And I see no reason why they won't hit the ground running here and put that right and finish top of the league. Last thing, if you're interested in managers, let me tell you a bit about Dave Challoner, Stockport County manager. He's an absolute winner. His first job was with Colwyn Bay, one promotion. Then AFC filed three promotions and a National League playoff final and an FA Trophy win. Hartlepool, Promotion, first full season. Then had 23 points from their first 14 games in League Two, two seasons ago, before he left to join Stockport, where he won 24 games out of 31 in the league at a ridiculous 2.39 PPG and one promotion. Then last season, finished fourth placed, lost a playoff final. Challenger's a winner. We think Stockport will be the winners of League Two. George, do the Betfair promotion odds suggest that we are... In line with with them, <laughs> not with Wrexham, who are seven to two favourites, but Stockport are second favourites at six to one. Notts County third favourites at fifteen to two. So we're not going massively against the grain. Although Salford sixteen to one, um, they are to win the league uh, in terms of promotion odds as well. Or top three finish, you got Stockport two to one, uh, Notts County nine to four, Salford five to one. Uh, top seven finish. So the other teams we had in there as well. Um, Bradford we've got at eleven to ten. Uh, Mansfield at even money and Wrexham 4-11 to um, the other side Gillingham are even money um, so you can see there. and then in terms of promotion itself Stockport 5-4 to Notts County 13-8 to and Salford 7-2 to We are genuinely so excited for League 2 this season it's going to be absolutely excellent I've got so many teams that I need to go and see in the flesh I'm off to Sutton against Notts County 
opening day of the season to see this Luke Williams side in the flesh, the team we have second in our 1-24s. Uh, make sure you listen to the 1-24 episodes for the Championship and for League One as well. Massive thank you to Betfair for their continued commitment and support to this podcast, a third year in a row that we'll be partnered uh, with them and providing you guys with the best EFL audio content that we can possibly muster. So do join us for the journey. And if you've enjoyed this and you like reading, head to ntt20.com, stick your email address in the box and you can sign up to either a free subscription or a paid subscription if you really want the whole hog at early bird discount prices. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the start of the season. Let us know what you think on Twitter at ntt20pod and go well.